want to open up the word of the Lord tonight. Going to spend some time in a study. We call this, we've started to call this Tuesday on the Rock because we want to make sure our foundation is secure. You don't want to be on shifting sand, sinking stand. You want to be on a strong foundation. And the Word of God, obviously, is what we build our life upon, and it is our foundation and our strength. Before we get into the reading of the Word tonight, I want to say a special thanks uh, to all of our musicians and singers who are still coming to the house of God to give us quality worship. And I have heard that from a variety of people who have told me that the quality of what they're hearing at home is a great, great benefit. And that is not that just doesn't happen. That's something that is intentional. So I want to say to all of our uh, worship team, musicians, singers, I also want to thank all of the people in the sound booth operating everything that they are. It does take a little bit to make happen. And so we're doing everything that we normally do. We just don't have a building full of people. And that would be you. (laughs) So you're at home and we are here. But we are worshiping God together, connecting together. And I want to say a personal thanks to them for all that they are doing. Another very, very special person that I need to mention. We had a fabulous time at the Prayer Gate drive-through ceremony. Obviously, Brother Condren has put a lot of time and effort into that, and so we thank him. But there is somebody that spent, I know, hours upon hours. On a particular day, I know that he spent at least six hours, and it was three days of doing that. And so Brother Jeremy Brock has spent a lot of time sitting at a computer, entering all of those prayer gate codes. He had to do it individually because on their side of the equation, they had um, some problems on the software side. So he had to enter all that in by hand. And I want to say a personal thank you to him for doing all that. He was here throughout the whole process, making sure that everybody was accommodated. And um, I appreciate that very, very very much. Amen. I I want to open the word of the Lord tonight. Tonight is going to be a Bible study. Uh, My intention is not to get too excitable unless something takes place. (laughs) I'm wanting to give you tonight, I'm going to give you a provocative title that's coming from our scripture reading. I'm going to give you a lot of information about the Old Testament law and the prophets. And then I want to give you a final statement that is a a very powerful statement about the current context in which we are in and how we should handle and what we should do in the times that we are in. Hence, we will spend some time tonight in the scriptures. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel chapter 4. Verse number one, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. You can read it from the King James. It would be good if you had your Bibles that you would follow along tonight. I really, really believe that the information I'm going to present to you tonight will be a strength to you in your understanding of the scriptures and how to apply the Old Testament to your life, what they mean for us today. Um, I think they will help your reading, your daily reading, your study. So I'm going to read this passage of scripture from Ezekiel chapter four, verse one. We'll read verses one through 13. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. You can read from the King James and follow along. Um, And then keep your Bibles in front of you. I have noticed some of you have posted some comments going all the way back to our first service. The Rosales family sat down after the message on opportunity or obstacles, and they wrote out all the obstacles, and they talked about all the opportunities. 
in their family. I received a message from someone after Sunday morning's resurrection service where several of their daughters had taken meticulous notes during the message. And I think that's what you have to do. It's an opportunity. You're sitting at home. It's a little different than being in a sanctuary. So it provides you the opportunity to absorb maybe a little more, take some things down a little more. And uh, so you'll want to do that here tonight. And I promise I'll try not to move too fast so that you can get some of the key points. Ezekiel chapter four, verse number one. And now, son of man, take a large clay brick and set it down in front of you. Then draw a map of the city of Jerusalem on it. Show the city under siege. Build a wall around it so no one can escape. Set up the enemy camp and surround the city with siege ramps and battering rams. Then take an iron griddle and place it between you and the city. Turn toward the city and demonstrate how harsh the siege will be against Jerusalem. This will be a warning to the people of Israel. This is a prophet, Ezekiel. There's going to be a harsh siege. This is a warning. Verse four, now lie on your left side and place the sins of Israel on yourself. You are to bear their sins for the number of days you lie there on your side. I am requiring you to bear Israel's sins for 390 days, one day for each year of their sin. And after that, turn over and lie on your right side for 40 days, one day for each year of Judah's sin. These are These are sins and there are consequences to these sins that don't happen immediately. It's over a time period, 390 days for Israel, 40 days for Judah. Meanwhile, keep staring at the siege of Jerusalem. Lie there with your arm bared and prophesy her destruction. I will tie you with ropes so you won't be able to turn from side to side until the days of your siege have been completed. Now, here's the real focus of our passage. Now go and get some wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, that's a type of grain, and emmer wheat, another type of grain. Mix them together in a storage jar. Use them to make bread for yourself during the 390 days you will be lying on your side. Ration this out to yourself, eight ounces of food for each day and eat it at set times. Then measure out a jar of water for each day and drink it at set times. Prepare and eat this food as you would barley cakes. This is where my title is coming from in this verse, verse number 12. While all the people are watching, bake it over a fire using dried human dung as fuel and then eat the bread. Then the Lord said, this is how Israel will eat defiled bread in the Gentile lands to which I will banish them. My, what an amazing passage of scripture. This is why I want to teach tonight on this subject. Baking bread on a dung fire. Baking bread on a dung fire. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We ask that you would help us tonight. I thank you for your word. And I know that your word is timely, speaks to us in the moment. And in the moment that we are in, the time that we are in, the day that we are in, the season that we are in, and the place that we are in, I pray that your touch and your hand would be upon us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Thank you for showing attention to the word of God. Praise God. I almost said thank you for standing, but I may not know if you're standing or not. So thank you for the attention on the word of God. If you are at home and it's reading a text, it would be all right to stand because we stand in reverence for the scripture. There are three defining moments that are found in the book of Exodus. Three. One of them is deliverance from slavery in Egypt from the most powerful empire in the ancient world. This is a defining moment in the life of the Hebrews. 
The second is the presence of God distinguishing them from other people on the earth. Exodus chapter 40 and verse number 38 tells us, The cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day and fire was upon it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Not only did God lead them out of one of the most powerful empires in the ancient world when they were slaves, but he also put his presence on them and distinguished them from other people on the earth. Fire by night, a cloud by day. And it journeyed with them everywhere that they went. The third thing that is one of the defining moments in the book of Exodus is God reconstituted them as a people for his name at the foot of Mount Sinai. No longer will you be slaves. You're not going to be in a foreign empire in which you are dominated. I'm going to lead you out with a mighty hand. And I'm going to reconstitute you as the people of God. And there's going to be a relationship. There's going to be some agreements that are established that makes you significant and identifies you with me and I with you. That begs the question here in our discussion, how is he going to do this? Those three defining moments in the book of Exodus, how is he going to do those three things? How is he going to take a, a people that have known slavery for so many years and their, their life? You read the first part of Exodus was under great bondage and domination and labor and hard work. How are you going to take that mindset? They're integrated into Egyptian culture and society. How are you going to take their mentality of what they have been for so many years and you're going to take them from that and you're going to reconstitute them as a, another people. You're going to make them an army of warriors and you're going to make them a community that interacts with one another and you're going to teach them how to be God's people and interact with God. How are you going to do all of these things in these three defining moments of Exodus? And the way that God does that, he does that through the law that he gives them. The law was God's gift to his people. Now, this is not usually how we perceive the law. Typically, when reference is made to the law, it's, it's made in a negative tone or a negative sense. And I would challenge you here tonight, let us have an understanding, a full understanding that in order to complete those three defining moments in the life of the Hebrews, the only way that you would be able to do that is to apply a law, a covenant, an agreement in which God and the people of Israel agree together that we are going to be on the same page with the same purpose. And, and so this is, is, is how God does those three defining things in their history. He provides to them a law. And so we should view that law as a gift. It was a gift. If you've got something to write, I want you to write that down. The law was a gift to the children of Israel. It's the only way that's going to cohesively bring them together and identify them as a people called by God's name. Now, we need to ask ourselves, what is the law? And what does that mean? The law was 600 plus specific commandments that the people were supposed to keep as evidence to their loyalty to God. You can read later if you would like, but in Exodus chapter 18, this is described. 600 specific commandments. In some cases, when the law is mentioned, it's, it's referring to the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. So sometimes when people say the law, they're talking about Genesis through Deuteronomy, which is a, a collection called the Pentateuch. Some of the New Testament writers 
would refer to the entire religious system, the system, the way that they uh, practiced the sacrificial system and, and the priest and all that went along with that. They would call that the law and they would describe that as the law. In some other places, the New Testament would refer to the law as that which was interpreted by the rabbis because the rabbis took the law and then they added their traditions to the law to try to define and explain some things. If you were not supposed to work, what did that mean? And they would list their traditions about what it meant to or not to work. Uh, so these, these are some various understandings of what the law is. You might ask the question, how do we relate to the law today? Well, we are related to God under a new covenant and all the elements of that old system are gone. So there is no temple. There is no sacrificial system. There is no uh, priest with all that goes with their duties and the sacrifices and the things that they were supposed to do. That system has been fulfilled. We can read in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 18 that even though that system is fulfilled, Jesus made some very, very strong statements. And in this passage, he made a very strong statement about the law itself. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus said, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. What is a jot or a tittle? That's the smallest mark that is made when there is writing in Hebrew or any other writing. The New Testament comes to us in a different form. And so Jesus is responding in that regard, but he's talking about the Old Testament law. Not one jot or one tittle shall uh, in no wise pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Uh, so there are some guidelines that should help us understand and reflect how we as Christians today should view the law in the scripture. Uh, it is a time, it's a system, it's a covenant that is an old covenant and we're under a new covenant. Uh, but still, how, how do we reflect and how do we apply that law to our Christian understanding? Well, the first thing that we should say to you tonight is the Old Testament law is a covenant. And a covenant is specific obligations between two parties. In some cases, they call it an overlord and a servant. A more ancient understanding of that is a treaty between two unequal parties. There's an overlord and there is a servant. In the ancient terminology, it's a suzerain, which would be the overlord, and the less powerful would be the vassal. So you would have the suzerain, which would be God, and the vassal, which would be Israel. They were not on equal terms. They were in unequal terms. God superseded as the overlord. He superseded the servant, which was the children of Israel. The lesser party then must show submission to the suzerain. This is a very, very key point to understanding the Old Testament. There is an unequal balance in relationship between the overlord and the servant, the suzerain and the vassal. And there's an agreement that they make and they enter into a covenant. The Old Testament is not our testament. None of the stipulations are binding to us unless they are renewed in the new covenant. Romans chapter 6 and verse 14 and 15. Paul is writing and he makes reference to this. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Paul's saying there's a new system. Just because we're not under the law doesn't mean that we have license to sin. 
God forbid. Why? Because there's a new covenant and there's a new system that gives us the ability whereby we are to live that supersedes and is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, which does away with the old covenant or the old system. The rules have changed because in Jesus Christ, the relationship has changed. And God still expects loyalty from us. But how one shows that loyalty is different in the New Testament. We're serving a God that provides to us a better covenant, a better covenant. Well, there's a few things that are much, much better. One thing that is much better is the Holy Ghost that is poured out to us and lives and works in us that gives to us the power and the ability to do what the law could not do. The law would tell you that you have violated the rule or the obligation, but it didn't give you the power to overcome, be directive in your life. It didn't give you that strength or that power. It only showed you where you were wrong. And so the new covenant provides a better way. The new birth experience provides a better way. Jesus Christ himself provides a better way through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that new birth experience gives us the ability to have a heart that is moldable and shapeable of God, not a, a physical structure in that religious system in which there was a temple, but God puts the Holy Ghost in us so that we become the temple of God. Somebody needs to be thankful tonight that you have the opportunity to receive the Holy Ghost and he resides in you. Praise God. Amen. Paisley thought I needed this. Praise God. So let's uh, let's pound the gavel on that note, because that's a good note. The rules have changed. There are two kinds of Old Testament laws that have not been renewed in the new covenant. The civil laws and the ritual laws. If you're writing down some notes, you want to write down civil laws and ritual law would be the civil laws and how to carry out the religious practices would be the ritual laws. The priest and the animals and how to sacrifice, those would all be part of ritual laws. All of the 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 uh, penalties for for specific crimes would be the civil laws. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 22, this passage pertains particularly to the ritual laws. Listen to this, Hebrews 9, 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. With Jesus Christ once and for all sacrifice, the old practices of that ritual law was made immediately obsolete. Ladies and gentlemen, you do not need to find the blood of a goat, a bullock, a turtle dove, and bring it to the priest, and the priest slay it and sprinkle the blood and offer sacrifice. When Jesus Christ offered himself as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, when Jesus Christ came to do that in a one-off offering for all. It made that ritual practice and law obsolete. We don't come to the house of God with a lamb or a goat or a bullock. We come to the house of God worshiping and praising the one that provided for us the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus Christ himself, he gave his blood to us and for us. And so we still worship, we still come to the house of God, but we're doing it in a new manner. And in this, the law is fulfilled. There are new things. There's, there's new rules. There is a fulfillment of that old system. John chapter 13 and verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. See, the system has changed in Jesus Christ. The old system is a system of the past and it has moved into a new era and a new covenant through Jesus Christ. 
There are cases in which there are renewed parts of the law that are applicable when Jesus brings them into the new covenant. And these are the only laws of the Old Testament that are brought from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Give me an example of that, you might say. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 36. This is one in which Jesus makes applicable an Old Testament law and he brings it into a new covenant. Matthew 22 verse 36. Master, which is the commandment, the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so Jesus brings renewed parts of that old covenant into the new covenant. And these two right here, he describes as being the greatest commandments, the two of the greatest. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So we're trying to develop an understanding of how we apply that Old Testament scripture, those Old Testament laws to us. The Old Testament law is still the word of God for us, even though it is not the command of God to us, still the word of God. It's for us, but it's not commanded to us. It is a, a different time. It's a different covenant. And yet at the same time, it's the word of God for us because there are things that we can glean and understand. For example, let me give you a great example. So in the Old Testament law, you were to put parapets around your house, small um, small barriers around your house, on the roof of your house. Why would you do that? That was a law. You would do that. So that's an Old Testament law. That's not a covenant today where there's no building code <laughs> that says you must put a parapet all the way around your roof. There's nothing like that today that would tell us that's what we need to do. Uh, but it was an Old Testament law. The, so the structure was different, the time was different, the covenant was different. But a thing that's important is, why would God say that? This is where it becomes the word of God for us, not to us. Would he, was he arbitrarily just saying, I want everybody to put boundaries around their roofs? No, he wasn't saying that. The reason he put that in place is to make sure that your neighbor or your family or your fellow humanity would not fall off of the roof and damage themselves. So there's a lot in the Old Testament that we, from those laws, they may not be to us, but they're for us because we can glean spiritual understandings of how God operates and his nature. We are only obligated to do in the Old Testament law what is explicitly renewed. Now, Jesus gave two commandments, and he said on these two commandments, which comes extrapolated right out of the law. And so Jesus brought that. That's explicit. We're to love the Lord thy God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and we're to treat our neighbor as ourself. But there are other occasions as well. The Ten Commandments are another occasion where Jesus expanded the Ten Commandments in Matthew chapter number five. So in Matthew chapter five, Jesus said, you have heard it said in old time, thou shalt not kill. That was the law. Jesus says, but I say unto you, you shall not be angry with your brother. And so he fulfills or expands that commandment. Another one was, you shall, you've heard, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, a person that looks on a woman with lust in her heart. So if there's carnality and lust, he expands the understanding of what the initial commandment is. And he says, go remove that which is causing the lust in your life. So he said, pluck your eye out, remove your hand, so on and so forth. So he expanded or he fulfilled those Old Testament laws. So two of them were the greatest. 
He, in Matthew chapter 5, he goes down and he goes through the Ten Commandments. We are obligated to only what is explicitly renewed in the New Testament. So here is a summary on this point. The law is still valuable to us because it leads us to Christ. Paul said in Galatians, he said the law is a schoolmaster. It's leading us to Christ. If, if, if you took out the Old Testament and all we had was the New Testament forward, you, you could do that. You could do that, but you wouldn't have a complete understanding of the Old Testament and how it leads us to Christ. Everything in the Old Testament is a type and shadow and has a purpose. And everything that you look in, when you look through the lens of the New Testament, you can look and say, okay, wow, I see right there something that is taking place in the New Testament. You wouldn't have that ability if you remove the Old Covenant. And so the Old Covenant is, is necessary as the Word of God for us because it's a schoolmaster. It's a teacher. It helps us. It develops our understanding. It, it uh, strengthens our spirituality. It gives us depth. And all of these scriptures are important to us. And they, they have a function and they have a purpose. And we have to interpret them properly. If you don't know anything about something, say you know nothing about mechanics, you're going to you're going to either do it on your own or you're going to go to a class or you're going to find a mentor, somebody that can help you and can lead you to a better understanding of what mechanics are all about. Same thing with the Old Testament. The Old Testament was a schoolmaster to teach us and to direct us. The law is still valuable in that regard. Israel's problem was not that they couldn't keep the law. It was their choosing to not keep it. And this was the big struggle. They had problems with idols, idolatry. They had culture wars with the nations around them. Uh, they needed something. It was not complete. They needed something greater than just the rules. But it was not because they couldn't do it, because there were moments in their history that they did a great job of abiding by the contract. But where they went wrong and the, the difficulties that, that came into play in their history is when they chose not to. In Ezekiel that we read in our text, he is very specific about the number of years that they have backslid. You're going to lay on one side for so many years because of Israel. You're going to turn over and you're going to lay on the other side so many years for Judah. Because for years they had chosen to take a different path. And they chose not to keep the agreement or the covenant. So here's some takeaways that I, I want to give you in the conclusion of this point. And that point is this, that the law was a gift to the children of Israel. So I have some takeaways for you before we move to our next point. And if you would like, you could write these down. Number one, it is the word of God for you. The Old Testament law is the word of God for me. Number two, it is not God's direct command to you. It's for you. It's not the command to you. Now, there are some other commands. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Those are commands. Those are commands to you. But the Old Testament law was not, are not commands to you. Number three, the law was the basis for the Old Covenant and Israel's history. You, you can't understand Israel's history without the covenant and the law in the middle of it. As we said in the beginning, the, the defining moments would have never happened if it were not for the law. Number four, these laws are not binding on Christians unless specifically renewed. If, if they're not specifically renewed in the New Testament, then they don't apply to us. And, and how we know they're renewed is through the teachings of Jesus. Number five, God's justice, love and high standards are revealed in the Old Testament law. This is very good. It gives us a pattern of understanding that God has some standards and they're high and there's an expectation that he has. So that is a key point. Number six, I really, really like this one. I think you should write this one down and you should underline it. God's mercy 
is equal to the severity of the standards. Someone might say, well, that's terrible that God would, he, he, would, he would have a penalty on a sin that seems to our minds, especially to our, our modern minds, that that would seem to be so atrocious. But it's at the same level of the severity. The penalty is the same level as the mercy. So whatever that severity is, it's because of the, of the damage that God knows is going to happen. This is very, very much lost in our modern culture. Why would, why would say, an adulterer be prescribed punishment of stoning? To us, that, that is just, we, we can't imagine that because that seems too severe. Until you stop and think about this point. Think about this. The severity seems severe, but... The severity of what adultery and the damaging of the home and the dysfunction and the destruction and everything that goes with it and the fabric of humanity that's ripped and torn apart and kids and children and families and everything else. The severity of that balances and is matched with the penalty. And sometimes we miss that point when we're talking about the law. And that's a key, key point. God's mercy, God's mercy is equal to the severity of the standards. Number seven, it gives to us a paradigm of expected behavior. We should have an expectation when we come to God through the law that was written for us, not directly to us, but for us, to understand that God expects some things out of us. I don't get this, this um, this mindset that says, uh, I, I want to be a Christian, but I want to act and do and be just like everybody else. This is foreign to my thinking. And this is one of the reasons why. Because God has a paradigm of expectations in the Old Testament or covenant, but even in the New Covenant, there are expectations. It's not like we just apply the name of Christianity on our lives and then we continue to act any way that we ourselves deem necessary. So it's a paradigm of expected behavior. Number eight, it's not comprehensive. It was not perfect. It lacked. There was a big gap between the suzerain, the overlord, and the vassal or the servant. And, and there was no mediator in between them. And, and that was a, a difficult disconnect. And this is why it was necessary for a new covenant. Number nine, the essence of the law, Ten Commandments and two chief laws, is represented in the New Testament. The Ten Commandments, still applicable in the New Testament, and the two of the greatest commandments that Jesus gives, still applicable in the New Testament. Number 10, the law should be seen as a gift if obeyed. And then number 11, these laws should not be seen as annoying regulations limiting people's freedom. This is not how the covenant in the Old Testament worked. We may approach it and view it that way because we're looking at things on the other side of Calvary. But we would miss the entire point of the law and the gift of the law that God gave and the contract and the covenant that they entered into. Amen. So there's there's some takeaways from the discussion about how the law plays a part in the Old Testament. And that brings me to the second point. And the second point is there's another group of people in the scripture. I hope. I hope this helps you because when you're reading the Old Testament, sometimes we can get lost in it because we ask ourselves, what in the world does this have to do with me in 2020? And there's a lot of things that we can glean if we have a proper understanding of how the Old Testament is working and this other group of people and how they're working. And that pretty much takes up the entire Old Testament. The law and this other group the other group uh, are, is the prophets. So you have the law and you have the prophets. The prophets were the enforcers. Seems to be a strong word, but it was very true. They were the enforcers. They were not to be seen as foretelling 
or predicting of what is to come. That is a common definition that people look up and when they, that's what they think of when they think of prophecy. I'm going to prophesy about some stuff that you don't know about and whoo, it's going to be amazing. That's not how the prophets worked, okay, in the Old Testament. They were enforcers. They were covenant mediators to make sure that the people abided by the contract between them and God. And so very little, very little, of the prophecies in the Old Testament is messianic. Messianic means it's, it's describing uh, Jesus. Very little of the total part of all the prophecies uh, reflects on messianic prophecies. They're there. Isaiah 53 uh, describes a messianic promise of Christ. He was born, shaping in, born in iniquity, uh, Shaping iniquity, born in, he was bruised for our iniquities. Uh, chastisement of our peace was upon him. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of scripture there in Isaiah 53 that is messianic. But the total picture of all that is being prophesied, the percentage is very small. It's also very little in terms of the new covenant age that is described. And even less that concerns events in our time. So, What were the prophets doing then? They were, in fact, announcing a future. They were doing that. But it was the immediate future of Israel, Judah and other nations surrounding them. What was the future for them is past for us. They were mediators between God and humans to enforce the stipulations of the law. If you abide by this law and this covenant, there's blessing. There's great blessing that comes because the suzerain is going to protect you as the vassal. And the suzerain is going to do everything in his power to abide by his obligations. And there's blessing in that. If you don't abide by those stipulations, then there is cursing or there is punishment. And these were the ramifications of the covenant, the arrangement that was made. So there was blessing and there was cursing. Moses was the first prophet because Moses was the one that came down. He reconstituted the people through God's words and God's law at the foot of Mount Sinai. He comes down. He establishes the law. He's the first prophet that brings to them an understanding of the contractual obligations. You keep the law. You can read this. Well, we're going to here in a minute. You keep the law. There's going to be great blessings. You don't keep the law then there's going to be punishment. And this is clearly identifiable in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 23. I'll give you a moment to turn there. I'll give you a moment to turn there. This is a rather lengthy uh, passage, verses 23 through 35. And in two segments, you can clearly identify the blessings and the cursing. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 23. Take heed unto yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a graven image, or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. When thou shalt beget children and children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land, and shall corrupt yourselves... And make a graven image or the likeness of anything and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger. anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you shall soon utterly perish from off the land whereunto you go over Jordan to possess it. You shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations and you shall be left few in number among the heathen whither the Lord shall lead you. And there you shall serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. See, these are the cursings. If you forget the covenant obligation, this is Moses, the first prophet laying down the ramifications of the covenant. If you forget this, these are the consequences. But notice Verse 29, but if from thence you shall seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him 
If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in tribulation and all these things are come upon you, even in the latter days, if thou shalt turn to the Lord thy God and shalt be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord our God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you, neither destroy you, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swear unto them. For ask now of the days that are past, which before thee, since the day that God created man upon the earth, and ask from the one side of heaven unto the other, whether there hath been any such thing as this great thing, or hath been heard like it. Did ever people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as thou hast heard and live? Or hath God essayed to go and take him a nation from the midst of another nation by temptations, by signs and by wonders and by war and by a mighty hand and by stretched out arm and by great terrors, according to all that the Lord thy God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? Unto you it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God. There is none else beside him. And so Moses establishes in that passage of scripture in Deuteronomy, the blessings if you abide by the law and the cursings if you do not abide by the law. The blessings would come to you in this way. You can write these down if you would like. You would be blessed under the Old Testament covenant with life, with health, with prosperity, with agricultural abundance, with respect, and with safety. You abide by these covenantal obligations and stipulations. These things will be in your life. But if you don't, if you don't under this covenant, there are punishments that take place. There are 10 D's, the 10 D's. It's one way to remember them. If you forget, and a lot of times when the prophets are speaking, they're speaking in, in these terms. Blessing or punishments. A lot of the prophets are talking about punishments because the children of Israel are refusing to correct their ways. And so if they don't correct their ways, a prophet would speak and be very creative, as we've read in the beginning in Ezekiel, that would cause people to stop and, and look and hopefully jar their conscience that we need to make some changes. If you didn't make the changes, then here's what would happen. There would be death, disease, drought, dearth or famine, danger, destruction, defeat, deportation, destitution or disgrace. All these things would come Upon you. Now, this is important. The prophets didn't invent the blessings or the punishment. It didn't come out of thin air. It was not their doing. They may have been creative in their methods, but they were simply pronouncing God's word, not their own. This is what makes them very unique. They weren't creating stuff. They weren't foretelling stuff that didn't have anything to do with the covenant. They were repeating the covenant obligations. Every prophet, both major and minor, that you read, they are repeating the obligations that were set forth in the Old Covenant. We read in our text where Ezekiel was a prophet in the days right before Babylonian captivity. There was a deportation that was getting ready to take place. And so Ezekiel was standing in the gap. He was prophesying. If you don't change your ways, there's going to be all of these things that are going to come upon you. There's going to be destitution and disgrace and deportation. And so in order to try to jar their conscience. He illustrated based on what God told him to do. Their predicament and he ended up baking bread on a dung fire. Why would he do that? What he was trying to say is there's coming a time if you don't change your ways and you repent from your ways, there's going to be a siege in Jerusalem and they're going to surround the city 
and there's not going to be opportunity for food and there's not going to be health and prosperity and agriculture and anything else because you have left the promises and stipulations of God. And so it's going to be a season in which you're going to have to use human dung and use that as fuel to create some bread that is terrible to survive. And this is what's going to happen if you don't change your way. So a prophet was there to be an enforcer of the covenant. And this is a very interesting passage of scripture that is very colorful in nature. And Ezekiel is, is told by God, do this so everybody can see what you're doing. What are you doing? I'm baking bread on a dung fire. It was to try to captivate and capture their attention because there was impending doom that was coming. Based on their interactions with the covenant, these prophets, they could be blessed or they could prophesy consequences. 722, write that down if you, if you got a pen or something. These two dates are extremely important. 722 B.C., 722 B.C., eight tribes, the northern tribes, which were called the tribes of Israel, were captured the northern kingdom. It fell to the Assyrians. The Assyrians deported a bunch of, of Israelites, and then they brought Assyrians into Israel, and the Assyrians and the Israelites that were still in the land cohabitated and their children were born, and they were hated. You know what their names were? The Samaritans. 722 B.C. Judah lasted much longer than the northern tribes, the northern kingdom. But they fell in 586 B.C. to the Babylonians. 722, 586. Two key moments in the history of Israel. All the prophets that you read, a lot of them are talking about cursings and it has to do with impending doom from Assyria or Babylon. Later, after the children of Israel are carried off into captivity, then there are some other prophets that start bringing back the blessings of God because the punishment of God has run its full course. They have lost everything. They've been carried off into captives, captive land in captivity. And so these prophets come back talking about the blessings of God and a renewing of God. All of them are trying to get the people of God to repent. God moved events. I'm coming to a conclusion here in just a minute. God moved events in other nations against Israel when the covenant agreement was ignored. When it was ignored, God, God was at work because he was the suzerain. He's the overlord and stipulations are not being abided by. So other nations would move in or famine would come in or pestilence would come in and prophets would be right in the big middle of all of that saying, the reason why what's happening is happening is because you've forgotten your obligations. You need to get back to living for God and doing what you know to do. The prophets were a key uh, point in that. It didn't happen overnight. It was a slow digression. It was what we call backsliding, a slow process of backsliding. Instead of moving upward and onward, it was a sliding backwards into the weak and beggarly elements of the world. That old mentality of slavery in Egyptian bondage would captivate them and they would, they, they would start a slow process of backsliding. It didn't happen overnight. They were warned through the prophets. Prophets would try to wake them up through events around them. And so there are lessons to be gleaned. Hence, there are lessons for us to be gleaned. Even though this Old Testament government and these prophets are not written to us, they are written for us. And so there's some things that we can glean. We're not under the same covenant, but our response, and here's where I'm bringing all of this to the major thrust and the major point here tonight. We're not under the same covenant, but our response to societal upheaval should be personalized 
just like our personal decisions that land us in dysfunction and confusion. We should examine those things in the same way that the children of Israel under those obligations of the old covenant, when things happen, it should have awakened them to say, wait a minute, we are where we are because we've forgotten some things. And, and there's a covenant and there's an agreement that should have been made and, and we've left off with those things and we need to get back to those things so that we can make sure that we continue as the people of God. We're not under an old covenant, but we can glean from the same things. When there's uprisings and there's difficulties and, and things arise in our lives, we need to recognize that is an opportunity to say, God, I don't know if you're doing this purposely. I don't know if God's, is God doing everything that he's doing around the world? I don't know. A lot of people think they know everything that God is doing and I don't. But I'm going to take whatever opportunity that comes my way to say, God, if in fact that is you, <laughs> I want to make sure that my life is right, my heart is right, my spiritual direction is right. I want to take this as an opportunity to awake myself out of sleep and say, I need to make sure my priorities are in the right place. And I'm going to re-examine my spirituality because I want to be right with you. We're not under that old covenant, but we can glean from them. Even in personal decisions that we make, sometimes those decisions can land us in the cursings. Not blessing, but in cursing. Many times we come to God because of the cursings on our life, because of the actions that we have taken. We end up in dysfunction. We end up in confusion. We end up with addictions. And we come to the house of God because there is a curse on our lifestyle because of decisions that we have made. And when we come to God, we want something different then penalties and God's mercy is poured out to us and all of a sudden we recognize there are blessings to be found. Amen. I'm not sure, I don't know, there's a discussion about personal evil. That would be decisions that I make and consequences that come my way, things that I do to myself and to others. And then we live in a world of natural evil our world is fragile. This is not a, a, a stable place. It's a fragile place. So everything that happens in my world, I can choose to ignore them and go right on by them. And I'm very, very fearful. That's what a lot of people are going to do. All this trying to control and, 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 and provide all of this stuff could very well be missing the spiritual point, which is I can't just blow by the warning signs of my own human frailty. I'm in need of a savior. I need God. I need God in my life. Amen. And this is an opportunity that wakes me to the realization that I need something that is stable and foundational. Amen. As the musicians come here tonight, we are not under the Old Testament law, but the same world that we are in and the events that we face should trigger, should trigger the same spiritual self-reflection. I've chosen to take the old covenant and the prophets to use that as a foundation to bring us to this point right now in the time that we live in, this point. And that is we live in a world that's very, very fragile. And we should take that as an opportunity to make sure that we are directed by God. Amen. I want to read a passage of scripture in conclusion. Matthew chapter 24 and verse number three, Jesus, as we've already stated, fulfills the old covenant, but he says something very significant in Matthew 24 and verse three. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when these things shall be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you for many shall come in my name saying I am the Christ and shall deceive many. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places or in different places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and many shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. I feel like in reflection of the Old Testaments and the prophets of old, as well as Jesus' own statement that because of iniquity that abounds, the love of many shall wax cold. Could it be? Could it be? That this would be an opportunity today to recognize I've got to make sure that my love for God has not waxed cold, that my love for revival is burning hot. Ignoring what we are going through would be like a person passing by Ezekiel who's baking bread on a dung fire and walking right on by him like one of the Israelites and saying, there's no judgment coming. There's no siege coming upon the city. There's no deportation or no enemy that's coming our way and ignoring the opportunity that a prophet is trying to draw his people back to a sensitivity to God's anointing and God's ability. The kingdom of God is much stronger than the fragility of the world. The gospel supersedes and reigns over the sorrow of the world. We should use events that disrupt our lives to Double down, that's a common phrase nowadays. You make a statement and then when people come against you, you figure out whether or not you want to maintain that statement or not, or whether you want to apologize or whether you want to double down. I'm telling you, the things that disrupt our lives, they should be opportunities to double down in our walk with God. I'm going to make some things secure. If you're listening to me and you don't have things right with God, I challenge you, don't walk by Ezekiel. Don't walk by this circumstance. Don't look over and say, well, that's odd. That's strange. It's never happened before, but there's no way anything's going to happen. We're secure. We've got the temple. We're the people of God. We've got everything and everything is aligned. And destruction takes place because... They've missed the opportunity and the same thing could happen in terms of our soul. Our fallen world needs a savior. Amen. And ignoring this present danger would be like ignoring a man baking bread on a dung fire. I want to leave you with this last question. What does it take to get your attention? Oh, and we're all here and the power of God's moving and the anointing is here. We could take it or leave it until it's gone. What does it take to get your attention to say, now's an opportunity not to backslide, not to walk away from God, not to become indifferent and cold that God put a fire in my heart and my life and help me to recognize and understand that this is an opportunity to draw closer to you and in the process of drawing closer to you, your favor and your blessing would be upon my life. Amen. As they 
play right now. I want us to pray together right now this prayer. I want us to pray that God would direct us to revival and strength and anointing. Amen. And that we wouldn't pass by things in our life. We wouldn't ignore circumstances in our life, but we would draw closer to him. Lord, I thank you and praise you. I thank you for your word. A lot of information tonight that helps just understand biblical things and reading and history. But there are things that we can glean from those pages and those covenants that were of old and prophets that prophesied and preached, did creative things and crazy things that put them on the outside of society as they were speaking and they were preaching and they were illustrating, trying to draw people's attention to them, to make things right with God. We're not under that old covenant. We're not operating under that, but we're still in a fallen world. You've given to us opportunity and you've fulfilled all of those laws, but we're still in a world in which there's going to be pestilence, still going to be famine, still going to be upheavals. Help us in Jesus' name not to walk past the upheavals and the disruptions, but to view them as opportunities to say, God, I want to get my life right. I want to get my spirit right. I want to get my heart right. I want to be a leader in my home, and my family. I want to make sure that I'm at the house of God, faithful in the house of God. I'm willing to change some things. I'm, I'm willing to move some things around. I'm willing to move some things out of my house. Praise God because I recognize it's an opportunity to say, come Lord Jesus. It's an opportunity to reflect the Lamb of God on how fragile things are around us. Help me see a greater kingdom that you have called me to. I thank you and worship you and magnify you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, I thank you. I praise you. I worship you. I exalt you. I ask these things in your great name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.